This is Bradcast producer Desi Doyen. We're off today, but please enjoy this encore presentation of the Bradcast, originally recorded on May 6th, 2022. Make no mistake, equal rights, constitutional rights to privacy, the ability to make your own decisions about your own life and your own death are on the ballot in November. This is a life or death moment, and we need to fight like it is. Yeah, you do. Are you prepared, Democrats? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WMHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites, or most of them. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, We are going to check in with our old friend, the delightful and insightful Heather Digby Parton, momentarily, for some wisdom, perhaps, hopefully, after this past impossible week. Uh, On where we are, where we're going, where Democrats need to go from here to protect American rights after the unsurprising but still somehow startling and infuriating and really grotesque news that the GOP's packed and stolen U.S. Supreme Court appears to be preparing to take away long-established constitutional freedom for Americans, specifically American women, by overturning the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade opinion, guaranteeing women the right to reproductive health care in all 50 states for the past 50 years. And make no mistake, it probably very likely will not stop with just overturning Roe, because if you overturn the underpinnings of Roe, the right to privacy, an unenumerated right Mm -hmm. of the Constitution... All the other rights that are based on that are also going to go away. It seems, seems like it's just a matter of time. Uh, well said, Desi. Uh, you're Desi Doyne. You're talking about yep. uh, contraception. You're talking about marriage equality. You're talking about intimacy with your chosen partner. Yes, uh, having big government in your bedroom. I'm against it. I remember a day when Republicans used to be against it. 
That's how old I am. Uh, anyway, all of this could be uh, coming down the pike in about a month or so, perhaps, uh, incredibly enough. But a few uh, quick items today before we get there uh, to to Heather. Uh, remember in the in the last, I don't know how many elections in a row, Republicans used to constantly repeat the refrain that it's all about jobs, jobs, jobs. Remember that? Oh, yes. Creating jobs for the uh, working Americans. Well, have you noticed they don't use that phrase very much at all? Actually, they don't use it at all, period, anymore under Joe Biden, maybe because of this. Expectations heading into Friday morning showed projections of about 400,000 new jobs would be recorded uh, as added in the U.S. in April. Well, as it turns out, according to the new report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the preliminary tally suggests the domestic job market did even better than that. April produced yet another solid month of job growth, the New York Times reports, reflecting the economy's resilient rebound from the pandemic's devastation. U.S. employers added 428,000 jobs last month, according to the Labor Department. That's almost the exact same number that was added, according to revised figures for the month before, for March, the unemployment rate in April remained near a 50-year low of 3.6%. Well, no wonder Joe Biden and the Democrats are in so much trouble this November. Sounds terrible. Orrin Klatchkin, the lead U.S. E uh, economist at Oxford Economics, said, quote, the job market is proving to be a key source of resilience for the economy. Job creation will eventually settle into a slower pace as business feels the pinch of soaring inflation and tighter financial conditions. That would be the Fed raising interest rates. Correct. But he notes gains will stay healthy. Klatchkin added, we think the economy has enough strength to create over 4 million jobs this year alone. The U.S. economy has regained nearly 95 percent of the 22 million jobs that were lost at the height of the coronavirus uh, lockdowns in 2020 and labor force participation has recovered more swiftly than most analysts expected, according to the Times. The labor supply over the past year, meanwhile, that's the number of workers available to take the exploding number of new jobs, has not kept up with a record wave of job openings as businesses expand to meet the demand for a variety of goods and services. That demand, of course, is one of the reasons for inflation, along with massive corporate profiteering, as we discussed on our previous broadcast with, uh, for example, record quarterly profits for companies like Shell Oil, BP, Chevron, ExxonMobil, who despite seeing those record profits this year, continue to raise your gas prices under the guise that it's supply chain issues and the war in Ukraine that's forcing them to do so. Well, forcing them to take record profits at your expense. But sure, it's Joe Biden and the Democrats' fault. The demand for workers, meanwhile, has helped push wages up. The April survey showed average hourly earnings 5.5% higher than one year earlier. What a disaster. Impeach. Of course, those gains for workers have been um, 
Offset by a surge in prices due to the corporate profiteering, they can raise prices because nobody's going to stop them. Because there is so little competition left in the market thanks to major corporations having bought up their competitors to become monopolies or near monopolies that they can now do whatever they want. Still, the hourly wage gains for workers is decades overdue and both takes uh, at least some of the sting out of much of the inflation, while also, by the way, making uh, the debt load for many Americans on student loans, mortgages, etc., much uh, lower in the bargain, much less expensive. The U.S. economy has now had 12 straight Monthly jobs gains above 400,000. That, uh, 400, that, according to a Wall Street Journal report, yes, Rupert Murdoch's Wall Street Journal, which notes that that has never, never happened before. So for the first time in U.S. history. Or at least since the government started maintaining national jobs records back in 1939. Okay, so since 1939, since record-keeping began on this stuff, it's the first time that jobs gains have been above 400,000 every month for a full year. Yep. Sounds awful, doesn't it? (laughs) It's terrible. Democrats are in big trouble. So far in 2022, the economy has also created over 2 million jobs. Just this year alone, that's after just four months. By any fair measure, Steve Bennon reports, that's an extraordinary total, nearly identical to the total of jobs created in all of 2019 under Donald Trump. And remember, that was before the pandemic struck. Uh, As for the politics Bennon observes here, uh, let's circle back to previous coverage to put the data in perspective. He notes over the course of the first three full years of Donald Trump's term, when the then Republican president said the U.S. economy was the greatest in the history of the planet, the economy created roughly six and a half million jobs. That includes All, all of 2017, 2018, and 2019, again, before the pandemic. Well, according to the latest tally, since January of 2021, when Joe Biden took office a little more than 15 months ago, the U.S. economy created 8.8 million jobs, well above the combined total of Trump's first full three years during what he and, sadly, much of the corporate media described as the greatest economy ever. But sure, Joe Biden and Democrats are in big, big trouble this November. Who knows? Maybe they are. And very quickly, uh, we have this. Oh, oh, this is fun. Uh, As it turns out, not only did Donald Trump in 2020 want to shoot Black Lives Matter protesters in the streets, as we reported a few days ago, based on claims made by Trump's own former defense secretary, Mark Esper, in his new memoir. But according to that same book, we now learn Donald Trump wanted to bomb Mexico that same year. Really? Bomb Mexico. As the New York Times' Maggie Haberman reported on Thursday night, President Trump in 2020 asked uh, Mark Esper, his defense secretary, about the possibility of launching missiles into Mexico to, quote, destroy the drug labs and wipe out the cartels, maintaining that the U.S. involvement in a strike against its southern neighbor could be kept secret. Oh, wait, bomb Mexico and just try to get away with it and blame somebody else? Yeah, yeah. 
Why not? Uh, this, again, according to Donald Trump's own defense secretary, he's the last Senate confirmed defense secretary under Trump. He also had concerns about speculation that the president might misuse the military around Election Day by, for instance, having soldiers seize ballot boxes. Esper said, I felt like I was writing for history and for the American people. He notes that in addition to the book receiving standard Pentagon security clearance, he also sent the writing to more than two dozen four-star generals, some cabinet members and others to weigh in on accuracy and fairness. So these claims have been measured both by the Pentagon and a whole bunch of uh, four-star generals and members of Trump's own cabinet. Pressed on his view of Donald Trump, Esper said uh, carefully but bluntly, quote, he is an unprincipled person who, given his self-interest, should not be in the position of public service. Esper describes an administration completely overtaken by concerns about Trump's reelection campaign with every decision tethered to that objective. He writes that he could have resigned and weighed the idea uh, of doing so several times, but he believed that the president was surrounded by so many yes-men and people whispering dangerous ideas to him that a loyalist would have been put into his place and that the real act of service he decided was staying in his post to ensure that such things did not come to pass. Acting as a guardrail, I guess. Yeah, what do you think of that? Well, maybe, makes sense. I think it does. Uh, one such idea emerged uh, from, uh, from Trump, uh, at least twice, asking if the military could, quote, shoot missiles into Mexico to destroy the drug labs. When Esper raised various objections, Trump said uh, that, quote, we could just shoot some Patriot missiles and take out the labs quietly. <laughs> Adding that, quote, no one would know it was us. Sure, just some random troublemakers firing Patriot missiles across the border from the U.S. It wasn't us. Just someone got a hold of some Patriot missiles. Trump said that uh, he would just say the U.S. had not, he could not conducted the strike. We didn't do it. Esper recounts, writing that he, uh, he would have thought it was a joke had he not been staring Trump in the face at the time. Esper describes one episode during which Trump behaved so erratically at a May 2020 meeting about China with the Joint Chiefs of Staff that one officer grew alarmed and confided to Esper months later that the uh, meeting led him to research the 25th Amendment, under which the vice president and members of the cabinet could remove the president from office. That was back in May of 2020. A member of the military Joint Chiefs of Staff researched the 25th Amendment. Esper singles out officials whom he considered erratic or dangerous influences on Trump in his administration. Policy advisor Stephen Miller nears the top of the list. He recounts that Miller proposed sending 250,000 troops to the southern border claiming that a large caravan of migrants was en route uh, Esper responded that the U.S. armed forces do not have 250,000 troops to send to the border for such nonsense. Then there was October of 2019, after members of the national security team had assembled in the Situation Room to watch a feed of the raid that killed the Islamic State leader uh, al-Baghdadi. Stephen Miller proposed securing al-Baghdadi's head 
dipping it in pig's blood and parading it around to warn other terrorists, writes Esper. That would be a war crime, Esper shot back. (laughs) Uh, Miller flatly denies that episode. He called Mr. Esper a moron. Ah, uh, well, you know, he always hires only the best people at uh, Donald Trump. Anyway, uh, Esper also viewed Mark Meadows, Trump's last uh, chief of staff, as a huge problem, uh, particularly for the national security team. He said Meadows would often throw the president's name around when barking orders. But Esper uh, was not sure whether Meadows was actually communicating what Trump wanted or what Meadows wanted. So, uh, yeah, and again, that book vetted by the Pentagon, vetted by by a whole bunch of uh, four-star generals and by members of Donald Trump's own cabinet. I'm sure we will be hearing many more such revelations in the days ahead after that book hits the shelves. Uh, But for now... It's always worse than you think. uh, It really is. Uh, It's just... I don't even know what to do anymore. All I can do is tell you what. Anyway, as long as he's not in office uh, for the moment, we've got other problems. We've got lots of them. One, of course, is that his stolen pact U.S. Supreme Court majority of radical extremist right wing activists appears on the verge of overturning 50 years of precedent and turning back the clock on reproductive rights for at least half a century And yes, inserting big government right into the middle of you and your doctor. Well, what are the what are the Democrats now prepared to do about that? Heather Digby Parton. She joins us next to discuss that horrible, not fine mess. And Desi Doyen's Green News Report will close things out today. That is all ahead. Yay, indeed. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the broadcast. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. scary, kind of creepy, kind of true. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. At least five currently sitting Republican-nominated U.S. Supreme Court justices going all the way back to Clarence Thomas in 1991, all the way up through Trump's three nominees uh, in the past several years, All appear to have lied in one form or another, certainly misled, to say the least, during their various Senate confirmation hearings for their lifetime roles on the Supreme Court when it came to their opinions about settled law, so-called stare decisis, and specifically respect for well-established precedents like 1973's Roe v. Wade opinion guaranteeing freedom for women and their constitutional right to privacy and health care, including abortion. I believe the Constitution protects the right to privacy. 
Roe versus Wade is a, an important precedent of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has reaffirmed the decision. When a decision is challenged and it is reaffirmed, that strengthens its value. A good judge will consider it as precedent, worthy as treatment of precedent, like any other. That's the law of the land. I accept the law of the land, Senator. Yes. It has been reaffirmed many times over the past uh, 45 years. Roe is not a super precedent because calls for its overruling have never ceased, but that doesn't mean that Roe should be overruled. Liars, all of them. Even a couple of Republican U.S. senators are at least pretending to be outraged about being lied to by the now sitting Trump nominated justices during their confirmation hearings. In a statement, the day after the leaked document was published by uh, Politico, which has since confirmed been confirmed by the court as authentic. Theoretically pro-choice Republican Senator Susan Collins of Maine, who voted in favor of seating all of Trump's far-right anti-choice nominees after Mitch McConnell and the Republicans abolished the 60-vote filibuster rule previously required for lifetime uh, seating of justices to the highest court in the land. Susan Collins said in a statement, quote, If this leaked draft opinion is the final decision, it would be completely inconsistent with what Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh said in their hearings and in our meetings in my office, unquote. You may recall that Collins declared that she was confident at the time that Roe would not be overturned after meeting with those nominees before announcing that she would, in fact, vote for their confirmation. Alaska's Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski has said, uh, following the leak of that draft opinion, that her, quote, confidence in the court has been rocked by that draft opinion. Meanwhile, Democrats are naturally furious about it all and promising a vote to codify Roe's protections to uh, big govern to prevent big government from coming between a woman and her doctor into law. Here's New York's Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand on Thursday. This country today. And if the American people don't stand up for equality for every American at this moment in time, we will be undermining a right to privacy in more than this context. Women deserve freedom and bodily autonomy. We deserve to be able to make decisions about when we are having children, under what circumstances we are having children, how many children we are having, and at what time we are having children. I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. Imagine you do not have authority over your own body for 10 months. Imagine if that decision making would not be taken away even if you would die in childbirth, even if you couldn't decide who you were having children with, even if you couldn't decide when you were having that child. I don't think a man in America could actually imagine not having control of his body, his bodily functions, what happens to him, and what life would be like for 10 months. It is an outrage that we have five justices on the Supreme Court who lied, lied in their confirmation hearings in order to be confirmed. It is an outrage that in America today that our judicial system is so corrupted and so politicized and no longer representative of the will of the people. Five justices said they respect precedents. 
Five said that Roe v. Wade was established precedence. Five said they would never undermine established precedent. It is unconscionable what this decision will do to the American people. I do not think that 50% of America should be told that they have to put their bodies at risk of life or death without their consent. It is barbaric, it is inhumane, it is unacceptable, and I hope every human being in this country understands that when you take away a woman's right to make her decisions about her health and well-being, she is no longer a full citizen. She no longer has freedom. She no longer has bodily autonomy. She no longer has basic civil rights or civil liberties. That is what this decision would do in America today. Make no mistake, equal rights, constitutional rights to privacy, the ability to make your own decisions about your own life and your own death are on the ballot in November. I hope there is no one who's confused about this. It may happen to your daughter, it may happen to your wife, it may happen to your mother, it may happen to your transgender friend, it may happen to anyone, and it is not acceptable. This is a life or death moment and we need to fight like it is. This is an issue that is defining for this. New York's Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand on Thursday. But if this is a life or death moment, are Democrats really prepared to fight like it is? With West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin opposed to abortion rights, along with Pennsylvania's Bob Casey and both Manchin and Arizona's Kirsten Cinema on record as opposing changing the 60-vote filibuster rule for legislation for any reason, you know, the way Republicans did in order to pack these lying Republican justices onto the court in the first place, including Amy Coney Barrett, who was voted onto the court in the seat in the uh, seat of virulently pro-choice Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg just eight days before Joe Biden won the 2020 election. All of that, all of which makes it extremely unlikely that Democrats will actually be able to do anything about any of this before November's midterms. Are they really prepared to fight like this is a life or death moment between now and November and thereafter? Well, I've been cautioning listeners over the past several weeks and months on this program to ignore the so-called conventional wisdom heard from the corporate media and so-called experts and pundits. The Democrats would be taking a beating at the polls this November and likely to lose nominal majority control of both the House and Senate. And while that certainly could be true, history suggests as much, it is a mistake, I believe, to put too much confidence in conventional wisdom during these decidedly unconventional times. One of several reasons for that suggestion was because we all knew that the high court was going to release its ruling in Mississippi's Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, which seeks to restrict abortion, at least sought to restrict abortion, after 15 weeks of pregnancy, but which, as attorney Jessica Mason Piclo on this program pointed out a few days ago, was sort of used as a bait and switch when Mississippi subsequently asked the court, never mind that 15 weeks uh, ban, please overturn Roe v. Wade in its entirety, which they asked the court to do only after the seating of Amy Coney Barrett. 
Such a ruling, it's always been clear to me, might wildly shake up a lot of midterm election math, or it might not. During many of the most landmark moments of these decidedly unconventional times in recent years, we've turned to our longtime friend Heather Digby Parton for analysis and, if we're lucky, wisdom in helping to make some sense of all of this, which I'm delighted to do again today. Heather, of course, is the much beloved longtime blogger known as Simply Digby at her long running Hullabaloo blog and a regular contributor to Salon.com, as well as a winner of the Sydney Hellman prize for opinion and analysis journalism oh heather digby parton welcome back to the broadcast thanks for having me glad to be here uh we have plenty to discuss with you today unfortunately heather uh so let me uh let's start from the beginning here somewhat before we get into all of the politics of all of this uh what it means where it's going where it isn't going how it's going how it will or won't affect the critical midterm elections uh, that's actually if it's even possible to separate Justice Sam Alito's leaked draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade on behalf of the GOP's stolen and packed majority from politics, from the politics that led to that uh, leaked opinion. But just on the basis of the draft opinion itself, uh, what was or is your immediate takeaway from that ruling on its own terms? Well, it's, it is the most draconian uh, finding in, in that case that we could have expected. I mean, I think that most people thought that maybe the court was going to do more chipping away at Roe versus Wade and the, the right to abortion by sort of upholding the 15-week mm-hmm. ban, and that would have been, you know, probably unsatisfying for their, you know, the, their zealot, zealous followers, mm-hmm. but it would have been okay mm-hmm. because this has been going on now <laughs> for decades so the chipping away yeah and, yeah and yeah in a big way and it, they've decided apparently the the five person majority had decided at least when they heard oral arguments and immediately thereafter when when alito w- was apparently assigned the the um decision mm-hmm. b- to, to write the decision by clarence thomas who was a senior mm-hmm. Um, member of that group of the five conservative justices, because if it had been Roberts, he probably would have assigned it to himself, right, if he'd have been mm-hmm. part of their their finding. So apparently they took the vote, and there were five, mm-hmm. uh, four, you know, completely um, overruling Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the, the decision itself, the draft decision that we've seen, is is completely i mean it is beyond outrageous <laughs> it's far worse i think than anybody expected and it's entirely possible that since that time this was in late february and it was the first draft apparently mm-hmm. that they have been going back and forth and probably shaving off some of the harsh edges that were there but it's very revealing nonetheless and and i don't want to actually spend too much time on this part of it because i think uh, you know, the focus on the leak itself rather than the substance of the leak uh, it has, has been a, a great distraction. And also, really, it's our opinion. We're all just sort of guessing. And, and this will be your opinion, uh, but none of us can know. Nonetheless, you are an award-winning opinion journalist, after all. So what does the what does the leak itself tell us about where this court is and what is about to happen as you see it? I know some say, oh, this is leaked by the someone on the left to, to try to 
to try to scare everyone into uh, a protest. Others who actually seem to have more evidence say that this is a leak from the right trying to freeze in, lock in these five votes. Uh, do, you, do you have any thoughts on, on, on that and what this leak actually means? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me that it would come from the left. I don't see what was to be gained by revealing it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this was going to be the decision then, you know, what, what, what do they have to gain? In fact, they could have leaked the draft afterwards, maybe, and said, you know, look how bad it could have been. You know, maybe it's better. I mean, this, this, uh, it, that doesn't make much sense to me. My feeling is, and, and the evidence seems to suggest, that there's long been leaking from the court to places like the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. We've seen that, and to Politico before as well, mm-hmm. on other cases such like this. There was a, a famous leak around the, the Affordable Care Act mm-hmm. to the Wall Street Journal. Um, and they are generally, you know, you don't leak to the Wall Street Journal if you're a left-winger, let's just put it that <laughs> way. And they had, they, they, the intention is obvious in these leaks, and the editorial board runs with it by, um, you know, the, it, it, it's to pressure, generally speaking, John Roberts mm-hmm. uh, away from doing some kind of a, a middle ground on some of these really contentious cases. Yeah. So I, I think it's probably the right, I don't know if we'll ever find out, um, but I do know that the the one thing that's important about it, and I agree with you, I don't think it matters. You know, it, I mean, the, this decision was going to come down in the next month or so anyway, mm-hmm. so whatever. But what I do think is important about it is that um, it, you know, it does the the reaction by the right wing is is a tip off <laughs> that um, they're not happy that they did not they were looking for the chip away um, strategy rather than the full overturn. Really. Because I think so because they, their reaction immediately was to start, you know, yammering about the leak. You know, this is the most egregious leak in history, and it's terrible. And Jim, Mitch McConnell said it outright: today is not the day to talk about that, about the, the substance of the finding of the decision. It's the day to talk about the leak. They were caught flat-footed, I think, on that, and I don't think they really wanted that right now before the election. I think that they were hoping that it would be something less draconian mm. and that they would be able to run on hey look you know we're to their followers and say look we're, de- we're they're delivering they're giving you some of what you want and it's you know it's looking good and to the uh to the others in the, in the suburbs and places where mitch's mm-hmm. people especially in the senate are looking you know have a great need to kind of bring over some of those people who may not be all that um excited about having roe versus wade overturned i mean remember yeah. The polls have shown for 40, 50 years now uh-huh. <laughs> that the vast majority of the country does not want Roe versus Wade overturned. So that that is the most contentious thing they could have, uh, you know, it, it going into the uh, going into these midterms. And maybe that will work out in these gerrymandered districts in the House where they're out there talking about putting women in jail and they they want to you know completely they want to stop women from you know interstate travel and things mm-hmm. like that. But in in these swing states, it that may not play so well. So I don't think that that's what they wanted, and I think that their reaction was a big tell on what they what they had been expected, expecting, and that they weren't really prepared exactly for what this what this may end up being. Is that what is that what you were referring to when you wrote at Salon this week? It's been very telling that the reactions to the news that the Supreme Court is poised to deliver the Holy Grail has not resulted in dancing in the streets by the usual suspects. I would have thought Republicans would run out of their houses cheering and crying with joy at the news as the pundits on Fox and Newsmax high-fived each other and passed out cigars. Instead of celebrating their sweet victory, they're obsessed with the leak as if the with the leak itself 
as if the integrity of the court is more important than the fact that they have finally achieved their most precious goal. So it's actually, uh, you believe they're concerned that it's going to shake up the, uh, the November elections. I do. I do. I think they're worried about it. And you can just tell by listening, if you hear them interviewed, you know, they're trying very hard. In fact, I know for a fact that they are because they sent out a bunch of talking points. Mm-hmm. Um, and Axios got a, got a hold of it, yeah. and, and I wrote about it today, actually. And in that, they're saying, you know, go for compassion. Tell people that you're compassionate, and we don't really want to talk about political labels. I mean, I am pro-choice, but does that really matter? I just want to <laughs> let you know that my door is always open, and I'm here to listen. You know, that's they're trying to say that. And then, of course, accuse the Democrats of wanting to, you know, kill babies, you know, extreme. put them on a stake. Expose the Democrats for the extreme views they hold, the mm-hmm. document says, uh, while advising they should be the compassionate consensus builder on abortion policy. Well, don't we already have a consensus in this country, at least when it comes we to do. the very popular Roe v. Wade? Even <laughs> we a, do. Even among Republicans. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you also write uh, in a separate piece, um, uh, well, actually, this is, I guess, the same piece uh, published on Friday that anyone who has been reading my writing here at Salon over the past few months knows that I'm a big proponent of using negative partisanship to win the midterm election. What does that mean for those who may not have been reading your writing over the past few <laughs> How months? How dare they? Yes, I oh know. Oh, my God. I know. Um, well... Just to, you know, brief recap of mm-hmm. the, you know, I don't know how many tens of the yeah. you know, 20s I've done of, of, of that theme, but mm-hmm. my belief is is that the country is suffering from a massive case of PTSD. It's six years of Trump and pandemic and uproar and trauma, and I think that that mood, combined with the fact that the economic fallout of the pandemic has been you know, extreme and difficult, and we're dealing with this inflation problem, and we've got this little war in Ukraine that's also contributing to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. This feeling of unsettled, uh, you know, sort of sort of society, mm-hmm. and so coming out and telling them, "Hey, look, look at all the good stuff we've done for you, and it's things are going really well, guys. Really, you, you may not feel it, you may not know it." which is what the Democrats continue to want to do, I think it's a mistake. I think you have to meet people where they are. And where they are is looking for somebody to blame for what's gone wrong, and I think it's pretty clear who that is, and it's the Republican Party. And Donald Trump, who's out there still, you know, ginning up his people to believe that the believe the big lie and think that the election was stolen and everything else he says, and the Republicans, you know, finally achieving their fondest dream of overturning Roe versus Wade and trying to, you know, set up, I mean, the, the agenda that they have that Rick Scott the, in the, the Senate campaign committee put out, yeah. you know, they're talking about, you know, wanting to reverse Social Security and Medicare. I mean, talk about extreme. And raise taxes on raise the taxes uh, lower on, and middle class. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I mean, and that's in to- on top of all this crazy stuff of book banning and banning, you know, and, and, uh-huh. and basically telling teachers that what they can say and what they can't say in the, in the classroom, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and all the silly stuff, too, like, you know, going after Mickey Mouse and, and which is, you know, Mr. Potato Head and all that stuff. Which is one <laughs> of the reasons that, I mean, with, with all of that, with the, uh, you know, the, the sort of the far-right loons that they're nominating to a bunch of seats yeah. that are would otherwise be easily winnable seats, that also adds to the, to the reason why I think no one should uh, uh, buy into conventional wisdom in these unconventional times uh, when it comes to the midterms. But what, what can we or, or should we expect um, 
from this this vote coming up from Democrats, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has announced uh, that in a few days they're going to try and codify Roe into law, um, you know, before it's potentially overturned by the court. Uh, they will need 50 votes, obviously, to even pass that. They may not even be able to have 50 in their own party who would support that, uh, much less the 60 that would be needed to uh, change the filibuster requirements to pass it. So what are the what are the Democrats hoping to do here in announcing that they're going to take this vote uh, to codify Roe into law ne- uh, in the next few days? Well, it's a performance. You know, they do these sort of performance votes where they just go out and, you know, look at how terrible the other side is. They're not voting for this popular thing that everybody says they want. I'm not against it. I think it's fine. I I think Joe Manchin has said that he's not going to vote for it, or at least we're assuming he's not since he's not not Mm pro-choice. But there is Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins who they think probably will vote for it. Um, but it's not going to pass unless they get rid of the filibuster, mm-hmm. and both Cinema and Manchin have said no, they're not going to do it, and there's absolutely no evidence that Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski would cross. Uh, Murkowski definitely won't. She's running, you know, she's running in mm-hmm. November. Uh, and I, I, you know, Susan Collins, she'll be concerned, but, you know, <laughs> she's not going to do it. The concern, um, Susan Collins. So the what, concern, Susan Collins. What utility does it actually have any utility as, as well, you see it to hold the vote? It, it gives the candidate something to say, you know, like, look, this guy voted, just voted against Roe versus Wade, like anybody doesn't know it. Mm-hmm. I'm in favor of some other one, other legislation that they should bring up. Here's one, just one example. Mm-hmm. How about, you know, there's all, there's all these laws that are being passed in the states that are actually criminalizing abortion for the, the women, mm-hmm. for, the, for the pregnant people. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet down in Louisiana, they're going to, they, they, it's passing through the, the legislature that they're going to call it a felony homicide and that women can actually be jailed for this. There are cases all over the country mm-hmm. over the last few years, even with Roe versus Wade in place, mm-hmm. of people, of women being jailed, prosecuted for miscarriages, for, you know, apparently not, you know, mm-hmm. being uh, acceptable hosts for the fetus and doing things that they shouldn't have done and therefore they're liable. There's a lot of that stuff that's going to be churning around in all the states. I'd like to see the Democrats come out and say, hey, we want to, we want to make absolutely sure. You say you don't want to punish women. We want to make absolutely sure here that there's a law on the books, a federal law on the books that says you cannot do it, mm. that you're not allowed to punish women for any any pregnant re- pregnancy related crime. And again, uh, it would be a vote that may or may not be able to actually pass, may may or may not be able to get over the filibuster, but would actually put these people on record. Well, that is something yeah. I'd like to see these people go on record voting mm-hmm. against. I yeah. really would. You yeah. know, I mean, Roe versus Wade, we know where they stand. They right. they tell us. But that's something that they like to say, or do one on rape and incest, you know, and say, are you for rape? And get them on the record and say, mm. are you going to vote for this or not? And, and, and mm. you know, use at least some of it also to sort of put some of their own people on, on yeah. uh, you know, it, but gin up a little, a little dissonance within the Republican Party. So I think that's more, you know, get more specific here on what's going on and start, yep. you know, pass some of those votes and see what mm. happens. Just row. I mean, I'm for it. It's fine. Yeah. It's not going to hurt anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that that is really where, you know, if you want to raise awareness about what these people are really talking about, maybe you need to get a little bit more explicit about it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think those are excellent points, Heather Digby-Barton. Uh, I, I don't know if you've been uh, reading Josh Marshall over a Talking Points memo of late. 
Uh, but he's made it very clear that there is basically one and only one way to respond uh, politically to this, at least as, uh, in as much as the uh, midterms are, are involved here. That Democrats must, this November, sort of be almost single issue on holding the House and adding two or maybe three Democrats to the Senate uh, in order to uh, vow that if that is done, they will, on the first day of the new session next year, vote to codify Roe into federal law and reform the filibuster to push it through. That that is sort of a very clear goal, a very clear target, a very clear promise that he actually thinks is electorally difficult, but actually feasible and to make it clear you know use a slogan uh the house plus two or something like that as the only way to respond to a situation as dire as this and that anything short of that is really political malpractice uh does he have that right and do the dems even have it in their dna can they possibly be (laughs) organized enough to run an election like that well, I don't know, but I agree that they should. I mean, I think this is one thing. I mean, we I've been, you know, saying for months now as as I said in my piece that, you know, I I am for negative partisanship. There's a lot to run against with the Republicans. I mean, the assault on democracy alone should mm-hmm. be, you know, something to galvanize mm-hmm. people. But the truth is is that those are abstract kinds of concepts. And as I said, we're in this period of post Trump PTSD mm-hmm. and post-pandemic PTSD, and the whole country is confused and unnerved, and I'm not sure that they can really see the danger uh, as clearly as, you know, maybe some of us do. Mm. But this is an issue that's been out there for yeah. 50 years. They've been, we've been fighting it forever. They've been, you know, people have been saying, oh, no, it's not going to happen. They've been saying, oh, come on, you know, that, 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 that these justices, they promised they wouldn't overturn it. You know, I mean, this has been going on and on and on. People are very familiar with this. And it also affects, you know, predominantly young people where, mm-hmm. you know, that's a group that has, you know, according to polling, is kind of dropping out of politics because they're feeling that it's sort of a hopeless cause for them at the moment. Now, this is a cause that affects them directly, and I think that it's and you know, and and that's old people too. You know, I mean, we have <laughs> kids. We've got, we care uh-huh. about young people. We, you know, some uh-huh. of us women have been fighting this thing for decades uh-huh. and are absolutely appalled that we're in this situation. So uh, you know, I feel I feel strongly that this is this is a galvanizing, motivating uh, issue as it should be. But you know, and, I mean, this isn't this isn't a cynical political choice. This no. is the reality. This is just it is a galvanizing political issue. It is, but they have to deliver it on a platter. I mean, I hate to uh, you know go back to the the, the Republicans' contract for America oh, back right. in the day, right? But it was a very specific promise. Yeah. Elect us, we will do this yeah. uh, in the first hundred days or whatever it was. It does seem like this calls for messaging along those lines. Uh, lastly, and I've, I've really only got less than a minute here, uh, Heather, but you know, I mentioned my argument that nobody should accept the conventional wisdom about November, uh, given that these are not conventional times. This ruling, uh, the stuff you mentioned, you know, the, the House January 6th hearings are going to come up. Uh, the Republicans are nominating a bunch of far-right loons to otherwise easy seats. Am I off base in in my advice that I really don't uh, hear coming out of the corporate media at all? Uh, they seem quite married to this, you know, Democrats are going to 
take a beating and lose both chambers, uh, conventional wisdom? Am I off base uh, to advise do not buy into the conventional wisdom, not this year? You are not off base. You are totally on base. You, that is a home run. We don't know what's going to happen. These are uncharted waters that we are in. This is not your, you know, as Biden said, your granddad's you know, <laughs> Republican Party. Right. They are radical. They're crazy. They're demonstrating it every single day. And the Democrats, if they can't make hay out of that, they have to turn it into a choice between this crazy party and, you know, relatively normal people. Uh, not a referendum on the mess that Donald Trump left Joe Biden that he's trying to clean up. Heather Digby Parton uh, can be found every day at digbysblog.net, also at salon.com, and yes, also on the Twitters at digby56. Always great speaking with you, Heather, even though uh, I tend to turn to you when things get really, really bad. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> and God love you for it. Uh, thank you, Heather. We'll talk again soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You bet. Okay, well, uh, things are really bad every day, and for that we turn to Desi Doyen. Yes, uh, <laughs> you know, one quick closeout yes. on Heather. Yes. I just want to say, you know, so many in the corporate media have uh, continued to downplay all of the progressives' warnings. You know, they said, "Oh, Trump can't stay in power. Uh, he won't fight to stay in power." You know. That oh, you mean that he he wouldn't try to steal the election? <laughs> right. Right. Oh, that the right wing SCOTUS majority they won't overturn Roe v. Wade, and here we are. I think the lesson here is. Listen to progressive media. There you go. Uh, and that's where the broadcast comes in. And that's where Desi Doyle and the Green News Report comes in. That's next straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad here at the broadcast and bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate. And thanks. It feels like I have been trying to play catch-up on everything over this past uh, week or so. Yes, Every it's single been day. that kind of week. They've all been that kind of week <laughs> yeah. for years now. Anyway, let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. Germany is not against an oil ban on Russia. Of course, it is a heavy load to bear, but we are ready to do that. European Union proposes official embargo on oil from Russia. Police say a body found on the shores of Lake Mead had been underwater since the 1980s. Plummeting water levels in major reservoirs prompt new cutbacks, reveal grim secrets. Plus... The public has been aggressively deceived by some of the largest and most influential corporations in the world. California AG launches probe into oil industry deception over plastic pollution. All of that deception and intrigue straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Police believe that dropping lake water levels could reveal even more bodies in the future. More bodies? This is your... Green News Report. I'm gonna soak up the 
Okay, Desi Doyen, well, you've got, as I said, some intriguing stories today. What do you got for us? Uh, Yes, indeed. First, we'll go over to Europe, where the European Union this week formally proposed a ban on Russian crude oil phased in over the next six months, plus a ban on refined fuels by the end of the year. But still, no ban on Russian natural gas, at least for the moment. It's all part of a sixth round of sanctions to prevent funding Russia's brutal invasion of its sovereign neighbor Ukraine. But some Central and Eastern European countries that are very heavily economically reliant on Russian energy are resisting the ban. Mm. European Union Commission President Ursula von der Leyen cautioned that enacting the embargo will be a huge challenge. Today we are addressing our dependency on Russian oil. And let's be clear, it will not be easy because some member states are strongly dependent on Russian oil but we simply have to do it. We will make sure that we phase out Russian oil in an orderly fashion. The proposal caused global crude oil prices to spike. Energy experts warned the 27 EU member countries should develop energy contingency plans in preparation for Russia to retaliate. That's probably a good idea. Meanwhile, Bloomberg News reports that China is quietly buying Russian crude oil at a discount. India is increasing its imports of Russian oil while trying to negotiate even deeper discounts to compensate for the risk of dealing with Moscow. Well, of course. Here in the U.S., the Interior Department this week announced unprecedented measures to address declining water levels at the Lake Powell Reservoir on the Arizona-Utah border, which has been hit hard by the historic western mega drought. The record low water levels threaten production of hydroelectric power for seven western states and the structural integrity of the Glen Canyon Dam. To keep power generation viable in Lake Powell, Water managers will, for the very first time ever, cut back some Colorado River water from California, Arizona, and Nevada and won't release it downstream to Lake Mead. Both reservoirs are at their lowest points in history, exacerbated by man-made climate change. This is getting very, very bad out west. Plummeting water level at Lake Mead near Las Vegas this week exposed one of the reservoir's original water intake valves for the first time, plus a barrel containing human remains. A barrel containing human remains. Yes, and officials caution there are likely more hidden in the depths. More human bodies in the lake. It's Vegas, baby. (laughs) Yes. Some accountability news. California Attorney General Rob Bonta has subpoenaed oil giant ExxonMobil in an investigation into the global plastic pollution crisis. Bonta alleges that fossil fuel and petrochemical companies over the last 50 years engaged in aggressive campaigns to deceive the public and policymakers about oil-based plastics and their damage to the environment. The industries falsely pushed recycling as a solution, successfully dumping the cost per of disposal and recycling of their products onto cities and consumers. But internal industry documents show the companies knew then and know now that the vast majority of plastics cannot be recycled. Fossil fuel and petrochemical industries have engaged in a half-century campaign of deception that has harmed our environment, our people, and our natural resources. More than 300 million tons of plastic Oil-based products are produced annually, a nearly 20,000% increase since, since the 1950s. 
The truth is the recycling rate has never surpassed 9%. So Exxon knew they were lying decades ago about climate change, and they knew decades ago they were lying about plastic recycling. Exactly. Yet they still get to be in business. Go figure. For much more on all of these stories, though I'm still thinking about those dead bodies in Vegas, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Viva Las Vegas! Viva Las Vegas! Of course... It's much more uh, fun making jokes about uh, mobsters in Las Vegas and uh, dead people than facing uh, square on the fact that we are running out of water in the West. And by the way, we didn't even have time to note these huge fires in New Mexico. Yeah, the wind-driven, drought-driven wildfires in New Mexico. Right now, New Mexico has the most wildfires in the country, the largest one um, up in northern New Mexico, and this came in too late for our Green News Mm -hmm. report, but uh, President Biden has declared a major disaster that unlocks federal aid and helps New Mexico fight the fires. I mean, thousands, something like 16,000 homes have been evacuated, and um, sadly, really sad that historic buildings that have stood for centuries have been burned and destroyed. Stay safe out there. Uh, we got a number of affiliates in New Mexico, according our, uh, including our friends at uh, KCEI in Taos. Stay safe. Uh, our best to all of you. Uh, and of course, all of this is only going to get worse before it gets better. Not that we tried to warn you. We got to get out before things do get worse. Uh, my thanks to our guest today, uh, Heather Digby Parton of Salon and Hullabaloo. To my producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas.